Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast with Steve Warren and the coach, Greg Kennedy. moving towards the puck. Darnell Nurse getting there first. Brady Kachak over to Norris, and he scores! Josh Norris is first on the score sheet, a power play goal, and the Ottawa Senators lead one to nothing. And that clip courtesy of Sportsnet. The Sens win again. Alberta very kind to the boys. Down 3-1 after 40 minutes. All they do is score five times in the third. And they win 6-4 as the Oiler misery continues. We'll break down the game along with some other news as well. Welcome to the Jim K. Ford Sens Nation podcast. It's Steve Warren along with the coach, Greg Kennedy. Greg, how are things? Things are good, Stephen. It's a Sunday morning after a late night. I watched the game. I watched the uh, Brady Kachuk on After Hours with Scott Oak. Uh, yeah, it was, a, it was a late night, but it was well worth it. A really fun game. I really enjoyed the third period, especially. Yeah, I think we all did. Absolutely. Yeah. And how is how I didn't see the Scott Oak one on one with Brady Kachuk. Anything come out of that? Was it good? Not, not exactly hard hitting journalism there. It was a love in. <laughs> it was uh, jokes and laughter and fun and clips of Brady and, and uh, Matthew as young boys boxing. And when they did that uh, during the COVID time, I guess they had a blog or something of the, what was it? Something with the Kachuks. So they showed a bunch of footage of that. They had some fun. It was, it was soft and fun. Yeah. I'd rather that actually than if the, if Scott Oak decides I'm going to make this a serious interview, the player just goes on to a, a whole other mental plane right. and it becomes the dullest, most boring stuff there is. So I'd almost always rather hear that unless it's like a, you know, a major issue that needs to be discussed. Most of the time, take it one game at a time. Yeah, just do what the coach wants. And yeah, the, the standard stuff. And I think everybody feels the same way. But let's get to the game from Saturday night. It was a game that looked lost, honestly, going into the third period. The Sens were down 3-1. to one. We played the Josh Norris opening goal there, and that obviously gave the Sens the early lead, and they were looking good for a while. But uh, a 5-on-3 that was probably a bit of a, I a don't know, lame. borderline call. Well, yeah, lane call. That, yeah. That, that really turned the momentum in the game, didn't it, at the time? Yeah, like you're going to put a team down two men on that? That was it yeah. just really, really lame call. Uh, I felt yeah. sorry for Brandstrom. I really did. But it was not a problem because uh, in the in the second intermission, DJ Smith decided he'd make up mix up the lines. Yeah, it came out with uh, with Tierney between Formanton and Gaudette. Not the most imposing threesome I can think of on this team, but man, were they a big part of getting this thing turned around? with uh, Formanton and Gaudette in particular, each getting a goal and an assist, and that uh, that tied the hockey game. And good for DJ Smith for recognizing the need to have some in-game adjustments there. Well, the thing that got me was the fact that I, I, I did not hear it on the broadcast. At no point in time did anybody acknowledge that there was a change in the lines other than on the one goal, uh, Louis DeBrusque said that, that uh, Batherson was out with two other guys, maybe got stuck out a little long. Uh, no, he lined up for the faceoff that way. And really the change was in the last two shifts of the second period. The Norris line got stuck on the ice for a a long shift. And um, uh, they they wanted uh, DJ put them back out two shifts later and stuck uh, Ennis with Norris and and Kachuk. And he left them there for the third period. So really it it became Ennis moved there. And uh, Batherson moved down to play with uh, Stutzla and Paul. 
And uh, yeah, it made a difference. And and somebody lit a fire under that Tierney, Gaudet, and Formington line because Formington got moved as well. And and uh, they had four all new lines for the third period, and he stuck with them for the whole period, and pretty much rolled four lines for the whole third period. And and that that might have been the difference in the game right there. Good good yeah. move, coach. Yep, no doubt. And Formington's been very good in particular, using his speed to his advantage, playing with edge. Um, yeah, it was. I thought he had a really good hockey game, as did Josh Norris. He started the scoring. He ended the scoring. Um, so the Sens basically made it after being down 3-1. They got it. They took the lead at 4-3. Oilers tied it up at 4. And then Josh Norris on a power play at the end of the game from the very same spot where he was set up to open the scoring. He's left all alone, kind of in that high slot area over there on the right side, and he buries the game-winning goal. The guy now has 16 goals in 30 games on pace for 42 on the year. Man, that guy's playing well. And man, I mean, every time we have this conversation, it feels like this guy has made more money for himself. <laughs> I can't imagine him uh, coming in in the offseason at anything, honestly, less than seven mil a year. Yeah, and, and we had mentioned a couple of weeks ago when he was playing his um, – 82nd career game that only Alexi Yashin had scored more goals than him in 82 NHL games. And they put the graphic up on the screen. Uh, first 100 games as an Ottawa Senator, Josh Norris has only played 89 and only trails Alexi Yashin's club record of 39 points in 100 games. Norris has 33 points in 89. So he just needs six points in the last uh, next 11 games and he can set a new club record for most points in his first 100 games as a Senator. Yeah, it's been very good and a very funny moment surrounding the game-winning goal because what set up that power play was former Ottawa Senator Cody Ceci with a high stick on Josh Norris, and it kind of wrecked his helmet strap, and so he needed a new helmet. And obviously the Sens want him out there for the ensuing power play. It's a tie-freaking game in the third period, and it's late. And so he's going. he starts going through different guys' helmets to try and be out there for the power play. And this is what he had to say. He's got a good story to tell now. I mean, obviously my, my helmet fell off there and, and the strap was, uh, it was still connected to the other side. So I had to switch my helmet or another player had to jump on the ice. So I switched my helmet, obviously. And, um, you know, Waddy gave me his and he's got, you know, a peanut head. It's probably the smallest head on the team. And then uh, the ref was like, the next one you grab, you're going no matter what. So I was just praying that uh, Gamby's helmet fit me and uh, didn't exactly fit me too well, but. Uh, you know, good enough to go out there. So that was uh, that was pretty funny. So there's Josh Norris on Helmet Gate, and how about calling the toughest guy on the team maybe a peanut head? <laughs> <laughs> but but how about the play, the power play, like yeah. two for three? Um, the first power play goal, uh, gorgeous entry, no drop pass. The first power play goal had no drop pass on the entry. They established possession, moved the puck around. But that second power play, my goodness, what a! Like just move the puck around. It was all about puck movement and patience and player movement. You watched uh, Batherson carry the puck behind the net, then back to the other side again, and they moved the puck around so well. And uh, Josh Norris in the slot just kind of wait that extra two seconds and so. And and really, he, he would have just turned his stick blade slightly to look like he's going to his left and then just kind of curl the wrist back over and, and through the five hole. What a great goal. Yep. You start to think about the future. I mean, that looks like a power play that could be together for a long time. Oh, yeah. Uh, 
I mean, Stutzla was excellent. Uh, you've got Sanderson and Pinto on the way. You're not only going to have a good power play, you're going to have a good depth of power play. Your second unit's going to be pretty good when all is said and done. And Stutzla probably won't get the love that he deserves, but, I mean, he sets up the winning goal on a nice pass across the way. And he also, if you look at that first goal that we played to start the show, his forecheck was what entirely set that whole thing up. Uh, and I'm not sure if you look at the replay, if he didn't get a, a, a stick on the clearance attempt from Nurse, then maybe mm-hmm. he should have an assist on that. But certainly Stutzla had a fine game, I thought. Oh, yeah. And and, and here's one for you, Steve. The, the team lead in hits last night was four. You want to guess who? Uh, which three guys had four hits last night? Unless, if, unless you've looked it up. I have not looked it up. Give it to me. Get a load of this. Eric Brandstrom, Timmy Stutzla, and Josh Norris led the team with four hits each last night. Now, there's wow. a bit of a shocker. Yeah, how about that? Yeah, those those would not be the first three names that would come to <laughs> mind. No question about that. So, uh, Sens added an empty netter on what was just like a lazy backhand from Zach Sanford. Did not look like it was going to get all the way there, but it did, and that put the game away, a 6-4 win for the Ottawa Senators. And another good performance, I thought, from Matt Murray. Um, what were your overall impressions of Murray? He made some big, big saves early on in particular. Oh, for sure. I mean, at, at one point I, I made a note about the PK and let's face it in the five on three. Well, here, I, I even wrote it down, Steve. I feel I'm so proud of myself, Steve. I took notes uh, at one point last night when, when Stutzla took the penalty late in the first period uh, before the five on three, like the first penalty, the shots at that point were eight to six in favor of Edmonton. You then had the Stutzla penalty followed by the lamest call in the world on Brandstrom to put the two men down. By the time the period, by the time the power play ended, the shots were 15 to six. So there were seven shots in the five on three, five on four carryover. And that made all the difference. And, And the note I made was like Matt Murray was your best penalty killer by far. And it would have been so nice to see him get out of it. But the, not just Murray, but watching the pair of Paul and Watson who kill penalties using their heads and their hands and their sticks, and then the pair of Formanton and Gambrell who kill penalties using their feet. Like it's two different looks on the PK, one far more aggressive than the other. Uh, it just it was great to watch the play of Holden and Zub, particularly on the PK and at five on five. They pretty much played every shift against Drysidle and uh, McDavid. It makes it easy when when Tippett puts them together, but Holden and Zub were phenomenal all game, but particularly on the penalty kill there during that stretch too, I thought. Yeah, they both had a number of occasions where they neutralized Connor McDavid. I liked their game as well. I thought Brandstrom was was solid. He was good. Um, yeah, I think it's um, you know a lot of good things. Uh, and there's a lot of things to like right now for this organization. And uh, one of the things about Matt Murray, I didn't love the Yamamoto goal. No. I mean, across the board, really. I didn't think uh, Josh Brown did a very good job of awareness, kind of got caught up ice. I thought that Brandstrom might be, could have got that stick taken away. I mean, Yamamoto fell on the breakaway. You should be able to corral a guy when he falls on a breakaway. And, uh, and then I didn't think Matt Murray did a great job uh, kind of falling. And just, it was, it was an odd looking play, but based on exactly, you know, the kind of game it was uh, from, from Matt Murray's performance, I mean, you can't be anything but thrilled with the last couple of games for Matt Murray. I'm still in a jury is out mode. Uh, but for now, you applaud what you're seeing right now, and uh, and hopefully he can keep it going. Yeah, no, he looked great. Uh, he, he made a, a lot of 
he made the saves he was supposed to make, but also made saves on shots where, you know, if it went in, you would have been, yeah, okay, that's that's a guy wide open and a great shot and whatever excuse you want to make. But he made those saves too. Uh, he looked real good and confident. Again, just like the Calgary game, he wasn't so deep in his net. He was he was out and challenging. And he's a big enough guy that he just, he, he gets in the way. He gets in the shooting lane and and makes those saves look easier. It's, it's I don't want to say it, but it's the, well, I'm going to say it. <laughs> it's like Carey Price. Like you watch Carey Price play a game and you go like, he didn't look all that great. He didn't make any stunning saves or anything. No, he's just technically sound that he's in the right place at the right time. And you could probably say it about any goalie on his good nights when he has a good result. It's usually because he's just in the right place, the right time and, and, and the pucks hit him. And I thought that's, that's Matt Murray. These last two games. Sen's got some bad news since the last time we got together. Connor Brown is on the DL after a freak accident in the warmup before the game in Calgary. So we'll get to that in just a second. First though, I want to tell you that the show is brought to you by Jim K Ford. Everybody knows that Jim K. Ford is a fantastic choice to handle your automotive needs, but they're also a full-service commercial and fleet dealership. They supply companies in the Ottawa area with work trucks of all shapes, sizes, and functionalities, from small delivery vans to the big F-750s. Whether you're in towing, landscaping, or deliveries, Jim K. Ford will help you with the right truck customized for your needs. JimKFord.com, 1438 Uville Drive in Orleans. Ugh. Connor Brown breaking his jaw in warm-up against the Flames and then comes out, by the way, had a very good game after that. It makes part of you wants to go say, well, slap a slap a like a face guard on that guy and keep him playing out there because he clearly can play with that injury. But obviously medical stuff comes first. And so he shut down for a while after it looked like Thomas Shabbat in warm-up rings one off the crossbar and then it deflects off the crossbar right into Brown's jaw and breaks it. Uh, what a what a fluky situation that was. Yeah, and it's not like he didn't have his bucket on or something. It just caught him right in the right spot. And I mean, you're right. What a great game he played. Uh, he scored on a breakaway. We didn't even, yeah. we didn't talk about that last show. Connor <laughs> Brown scored on a breakaway, but uh, he's coming along and looking. He, he actually his offense has gotten better in the last couple of weeks. That that maybe he's getting back to last year's level. And and just he's a he's a glue guy. He's a guy you need in your lineup every night who can do anything for you. He plays the second power play unit from time to time. He kills penalties five on five. He's he's in a checking role or or you get some offense out of him here and there. It's going to be a loss. It, it sort of got covered up last night because Stutzla comes back in. So that sort of takes his spot. And then you had um who was it who came in? It was it uh, would Gambrell end up uh, being the one who no, it was Godet, sorry, who came in and replaced the injured Scott Sabaran. So they 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 got through it. I I hope it's not going to be too long. As you say, you can just kind of put a shield on your face and hopefully be able to play again soon. It's it really comes down to how much your 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 pain threshold, and let's hope he's got the pain threshold of a cadaver and he's good to go. Also a roster shuffle in the Jacob Bernard Docker, who I thought had a good game mm-hmm. on Saturday night. He's been sent down to the taxi squad. What has your general impression been of JBD so far? It certainly was a special game in Calgary the other night with an entire section all in Jacob Bernard Docker <laughs> T-shirts that had the old, I don't know, was it not even the old logo. It was like the logo they never used, which I kind of I kind of like that logo. But anyway, they obviously had family on hand. And so uh, it was nice to have him get an opportunity out in Alberta, but looks like he's on the taxi squad, at least for a bit here. 
Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I don't like I'm sitting here trying to figure it out financially speaking and dollars wise why he goes there as opposed to staying. I I assume Mete's back and you put Mete into the main roster. I guess that's what it is. But JBD looked good last night. Uh, you know, in the third period, it was basically uh, Zub and Holden went every second shift. And then in between, you, Shabbat would play with Branstrom or Shabbat would play with JBD. Um, I mean, he's been, he moves the puck well. His his feet look good. Uh, I, I assume eventually when he gets comfortable, he'll do a little more offensively. But he's more mobile and smarter than some of the others that they have. So he was able to... He's able to help uh, uh, in the neutral zone defensively with staying up and protecting the middle of the ice and and pinching people off. He's looked good in in limited minutes, right? They're protecting him and as they should. And uh, I assume he goes to the taxi squad and Mete comes in, but we'll have to see what happens. I want to jump it back to the... Uh to the game and the post game with the Oilers side of things. Obviously the Oilers are going very, very badly. And I don't know. I feel like there's like this tone of arrogance after that game was over because basically there was a media question asked of Connor McDavid and he was suggesting that it should be an extra frustrating loss given that you lost that game to the 30th place team. And I'm like, that's a, that's a bit, let me, let me play the clip for you. Here it is. Connor, I know it's not the playoffs, for losses, but when you consider, you know, where you're at, you had a 10-day break, you're 2-9-2, two, and two, and you're up at home, it's 3-1, to one, and then you lose to a 30th place team. It's, it's one of the most frustrating regular season losses you've had. It's definitely up there. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're, that was uh, <laughs> that was the post game last night, and, and, and McDavid has kind of led into it, but I, I, I don't know, I just, whether I have my angst directed at the Edmonton media or McDavid as well for going along with it. I just, what does it have to do with what does the other team's standing have to do? You guys are a two and 12 team right now. You're on a two and 12 run. You have one playoff win in the last 15 years. Like who who do you think you are exactly? (laughs) I found that a bit arrogant. What about you? Well, I just, I just saw a guy who was frustrated. I, I read more into what he didn't say and read more into his body language and facial expressions than anything else. Um, I, I believe it was Kevin BX. I, first of all, the post game uh, I thought was kind of sad in a way. It was two Canadian teams, so you could take that excuse out. But they spent the entire maybe 15 minutes with the panel discussing of the 15 minutes, probably 14 of it was about what was wrong with Edmonton. There was no time spent discussing the, the play of the Senators and their their come-from-behind win and how good they looked. That frustrated me. But it was Kevin Bieksa who said uh, something along the lines of, this is a team where we don't know how they view themselves. Do they view it as, uh, you know, we need to do this, we need to do that? Do they look at this game as, ah, oh, well, you know what happens once in a while? Or do they view the game as, this is a symptom of things that have been going on for a while, as you said, 2-9-2 and two in their last five weeks. So... How do the Edmonton Oilers view themselves? Are they viewing it as we don't work hard enough, we don't defend well enough, we don't uh, show up in our own zone? We're, we're you know all the sort of things that that have plagued them for the last couple of weeks, or are they just looking at it as yeah, well, we were a little flat, we had a bad third period. So until we get an answer on that, and we probably never will, that's what can inform our opinions. We don't even know what they think of themselves. Just the vibe I get 
as a way outsider, and this might be totally unreasonable, I'm just speculating, the vibe I get from that team right now is just like it's McDavid and Dreisaitl and everybody else. I don't get that vibe from any other team. I get this vibe of the whole team is waiting for McDavid and Dreisaitl to take us where we need to go. Yeah, I, I can see that happening. I can see, I can understand you're, you're feeling that way. And, and to a certain extent, yes, that is the problem. They have refused or been unable to uh, round out their forward core. They added Zach Hyman, great, but they needed more help than one guy and they have been unable to do it. And and prospects have yet to to pan out to the level that uh, that they need to, like a Kyler Yamamoto Um You've got Ryan Nugent Hopkins is out of the lineup right now, but he hasn't exactly been been uh, been tearing it up in his career as far as establishing some secondary scoring for them. Uh, it, it is a team that, that goes by two guys. And even last night's game, for one of the rare times, you can't say that. In their five-on-five five goals last night, neither Dreisaitl nor uh, McDavid were on the ice for any of them. So last night it was those two guys didn't perform. Whereas in past times you said, if these two guys do all the work, nobody else does anything else and we lose. Well, last night you lost the other way. So take a, take a deeper look into the whole scenario. And, and I think part of the problem was they just, you got a three, one lead in the third period. You'd just lock it down. And I don't know that they're capable of doing that. And I really don't care either for that matter. That's true. <laughs> I mean, it, it is interesting though, because uh, it was such a great start to the season and not only the, I'm leaving aside in my in my feeling about that media exchange last night. I'm leaving aside the fact that the Sens have wholly outplayed the Edmonton Oilers since December first. Yeah. The Sens are like a seven four run in the same time that the Oilers are on this two and twelve jag. So it just it to me it seemed ridiculous. Whether I'm I'm aiming this at the media or maybe a little at McDavid as well for not shooting it down like. You know, we have no right to look down on anybody, regardless of standing, for not stepping in on something like that. Good just point. To say, to bring that up as a as a as something that should be a concern. Oh well, you know, we're a team like us shouldn't lose to a thirtieth place team. A team like you is sucks right now. So anyway, yeah, and, and and they went from first to twentieth in five weeks, Steve. Whoa, whoa, that's not good. That's, this just in, and that's the kind of loss that will keep you going in that direction too. By <laughs> yes, the way. yeah. Uh, Paul Bissonette from Spit and Chicklets, former NHLer, going into that game, like daily, he was talking about, you're a moron if you don't bet on the Oilers to beat the Sens. This is a, probably his most dramatic quote on Twitter. Um, I am now saying the Oilers at home against the Sens on Saturday is the biggest lock in gambling history. <laughs> Not a chicken you-know-what's chance the Oilers lose that game. Let's all save our pennies the next few days. And then something crude about the sports book. If you don't bet on the Oilers in this game, you're a moron. I love when sanctimonious <laughs> windbags are proven so, so terribly wrong. Biz nasty coming at you. Yeah, yeah I, absolutely. I, that, I, I'll, I'll tell you this. That, that was more one of those games where, especially after the result in Calgary, where I would have just stayed away. That's one of those ones where I, I would have said, no, I wouldn't touch it with a 10-foot pole and bet on either side of that one because it literally could have gone either way. If any game had on its face the ability to go either way, to me, that was that game. Yeah, that would have been a stay away from it no matter what game. So as we look ahead to the next game, it'll be on Tuesday as the Sens take on the Buffalo Sabres, and it's uh, it's back to fanless hockey provinces decreed that there will be no fans at that game and i got thinking about 
life as an NHL owner right now where you're getting no hockey revenue, at least in the markets where that's happening, and that's Ontario for one. And Eugene Melnick, he's not just any NHL owner. He doesn't like spending money at the best of times. So with hockey revenues taking a beating like this and people lining up at his door, Greg, asking him to shell out one long-term contract after another, Josh Norris will be the next guy with his handout. You got to pay that guy. Um, I'm, I'm wondering if this guy, based on this fanless hockey and this COVID world that doesn't seem to have a light at the end of the tunnel that I can see, I wonder if this might be the thing that causes Eugene Melnick to lose interest in being an NHL owner. Well, it was interesting. There was yet another story about owners stepping up and the possibility that uh, that Alfie and, and Chris Phillips were involved in an ownership group. We, we said this before. I, I believe that he's losing. It's a couple things. He's losing lots of money right now. He made a whole chunk of change off of the uh, Seattle and Vegas coming into the league. He made a chunk of change off the TV contract. There's no new TV contract money on the horizon. There's no new expansion team on the horizon. And there doesn't seem to be much luck coming out on the horizon for saving, for making more money off of the off of the gate receipts and everything else that goes with that. So to me, the combination of reduced revenue, uh, the combination of no potential big revenue coming, this is the time for him to sell. The team may not be worth any more. It's probably worth less now, obviously, than, than if he'd done this a year ago. But there's nothing on the horizon to keep him around other than his interest in being an NHL owner and his love of that role. So if he's yeah. going to sell, this to me seems like the time to do it. And and from a financial standpoint, it makes the most sense. It's going to be interesting over the next little while trying to get all these postponed games. There's still that Edmonton game last night was a makeup game. So they're at 12 right now. They have to make up and uh, there should be enough time. But I'm sure it's Eugene Melnick's appetite to get postponed games in at a time when we won't have fanless hockey. But it's, you know, it's happening soon. This this Olympic break, uh, the send schedule is actually in February it was a game on February 1st and then nothing until February 26th. So you get a 24 day window in there of nothing. So you really should be able to get most of those games postponed in there. But as we speak right now, who knows what the fan situation will be? So it may not be uh the most ideal setting for Eugene Melnick uh, if this uh, revenue-free hockey continues. Yeah, and there was another game postponed last night because of uh, fan seating rules, right? Like right. I just, it, 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 and, and Edmonton, Winnipeg, I believe is, is postponed coming up. So they're still postponing games because of, of uh, fan restrictions, but I don't think that Ottawa is going to be allowed to do that. They, they, there must be a magical maximum number of games you're allowed to postpone. And I'd like to think that the senators have probably hit that number and there won't be any postponed due to the fact that there's no butts and seats. Although other teams are getting that sort of that, that, uh, that escape clause. And like I said, there was one yesterday and there's, there's another one coming up. I think Vancouver Calgary is coming up. That's, that's a postponed due to seating restrictions. So there's all kinds of things still going on that are causing problems. All right, as we record this, you and I are getting ready for a uh, little NFL action. No way, a lot of NFL action, three straight games. It's going to be a great afternoon of uh, football. Looking forward to that, so we shall take our leave. I want to thank everybody for being with us today on this edition of the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast, and we will talk to you next time. See you next time. Thanks for being with us on the Jim K. Ford Sends Nation podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please subscribe and review. 
share the show with your friends and followers, or become a member on Patreon. Check out our website today at SendsNationHockey.com.